In today's episode of Unreliable Narrator, I am very happy to welcome artist and photographer Marian Samama, a longtime collaborator and friend of David Wanarovich, whose two unfinished films, A Fire in My Belly, Film in Progress, and A Fire in My Belly excerpt from 1986-87, inspired the exhibition at JSC Berlin. To mark the occasion of the exhibition's closing, we had hoped to host a screening and talk in person with Simama, which unfortunately had to be cancelled due to the development of the pandemic. Marian Simama's film, Self-Portrait in 23 Rounds, a chapter in David Wanarovich's life, 1989 to 1991, and released in 2018, depicts the artist and activist speaking candidly about intimacy, desire, and the use of rage in his creative processes. Samama weaves an affecting portrait of a man who must reckon with his impending death in a society that refused to confront the AIDS epidemic. This film is based on a four-hour interview conducted in May 1989 by cultural theorist Sever Lothringer, founder of Semiotexte, a year after Ronarovich was diagnosed with HIV. I spoke with Mariam Samama about the film, the ups and downs of friendship and love, sharing authorship, as well as New York in the 1980s. Born in Morocco in 1950, Samama grew up in Uruguay and Paris, where, in the early 1970s, she began working as a photojournalist. She moved to New York in 1981, where she lived for six years, and her collaborations with Wanarovich include films, videos, and photographs, among others, When I Put My Hands on Your Body and Inside This House. Her films, Self-Portrait in 23 Rounds, A Chapter in David Wanarovich's Life, and Summer 89 use footage shot with the artist during their time spent together, but were finalized only after his death. She now lives and works in Paris. This podcast sits alongside the exhibition A Fire in My Belly. My name is Lisa Long, curator at the Julia Stasha Collection, Berlin. Marian Samama, thank you so much uh, for talking with me today. I'm excited to have you at least digitally because we had planned this event for our cinema space here in Berlin. But of course, due to the situation, we had to replan. But it's a pleasure to speak about um, your practice and your life, I would say, and also the film that you made about David Wanarovich which we will get to later, uh, which will be at the same time showing online on our website for the coming weekend. And I wanted to start by speaking about your practice and about how you came to be a photographer and what kind of motivation you had um, as a young woman entering that field. In fact, it started when I was a kid because uh, my mother had always a camera with her and she loved to photograph her family, to photograph her daughters. We were three daughters. You know, we were a regular person. We never thought we were beautiful or we thought we were really medium looking, let's say. But uh, each time I w my mother would show us the photos she was taking of us, I was amazed how beautiful we were on her photograph and I couldn't believe it. And then in photography for me, something became related between photographing and love. You know, there was something like that. And even when, uh, when I became a teenager, that I started being revolted and uh, that I was angry at the world and, 
uh, not an easy person. You know, I had the desire to photograph violent things, but I couldn't, you know. I worked for a magazine, a newspaper, and each time I would do portraits or, or even stories, there's also there's always something about tenderness in the images. And in a way, you know, I got used to it and I like it. You got used to the violence, you mean, or used to the tenderness? Oh, now, you know, getting older, <laughs> I'm more about tenderness. But, uh, you know, people think that sometimes I'm violent in my uh, reactions, not physically, but in my words, but less and less. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't consider yourself an artist. As I understood. No, I, I consider myself like a photographer. I mean, my, my will was to, to be a photojournalist. And uh, I love to work for magazine and newspaper. First, because you don't work alone. You know, you work. I used to work with journalists. And also, you know, after you finish your story, a few days later, you, you had it in the newspaper, you know, in two pages, three pages, you know, large format, small format. So I was happy with that. When you met David Wonorovich, he said that you, your photographs were like art or were art. What changed for you when he said that? I always have been doing photographies for myself. I mean, I, I made my living working for magazine and newspaper, but, you know, I had a dark room and I always try uh, new forms in the dark room, you know, and taking photos by pleasure. I always enjoy photography anyway. Let's say that I was always making things, but you know, I never thought about, uh, you know, that it, would, it should be in a gallery or, uh, you know, for me, newspaper, to be printed in newspaper was great. And I remember that one day I said to David, I said, I prefer to be printed in, in newspaper and a magazine because there's thousands and thousands of people who see my photos. If I put them in a gallery, maybe in a month, a hundred people will see my photos. So what for? And I remember his look, you know, when he looked at me like, that's strange, you know, but like he could understand why uh, I, I didn't care about being an artist. But then working with David, I realized that being an artist is working differently. And also there's an amazing thing um, that's funny. I met an artist, I'm not gonna say her name because now she's very famous. I was friend with her. And uh, one day she was ending a love affair and she was kind of sad, etc. And uh, I pushed her to, to go out with me, to go to an opening. And um, oh, she said, oh, no, because I'm going to meet that person there. And I said, come on, uh, you know, just come. And she came. She just said hello to that person. And, you know, she left after 10 minutes. And the day after, I called her and I said, I looked for you, I couldn't find you. And she said, no, no, I left. I was really, and you know, I, I had a bad mood and I, I came back home and I started crying. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And then a few weeks later, or a few months later, I go to an installation she, she made. And then in the sound of the installation was uh, cries, you know, like a, a girl, you know, not crying loudly, but, you know, crying secretly, almost secretly. 
And then I said to her, but is it the cries that, that you told me that you cried the other night? And she said, yes. And I thought, that's unbelievable. That's to be an artist. You're, 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 you're sad, you cry, but you don't forget to push on the button to record your cries, you know? <laughs> and then I understood what was to be an artist, to use everything that you could go through could be a piece of art. So, you know, things like that happen in this village and in New York that make me think, yes, it's something special to be an artist. Um, you moved to New York in 1982, right? 1981. 1981, okay. What was different from Paris and why did you decide to go to New York? Well, in fact, it was an opportunity to, get, to go to New York because there was a company in Paris. I was very friend with the director It was a company who sells and runs a 16mm and 35mm camera to independent uh, filmmakers. And he had an, an office in New York. And uh, then he, he had to find somebody new for the office. And uh, he said, would you like to go three months to run the office and, uh, until I find somebody to, to be there uh, And I said, yeah, why not? You know, three months in New York. I, have ne I, I was never in New York before. So I thought, well, that's a great uh, opportunity. And then I left. And also I left because I wanted to change something in my life. Because during all the 70s in Europe, I was activist uh, on the left wing, extreme left wing. And, uh, you know, there were the terrible years, the 70s, you know, with the... With the Red Fraction Army, with the Red Brigades, uh, in in France we had uh, um, Action Direct, uh, you know, and I was attracted, you know, to those movements, but I never went uh, close to them, you know. I was activist, but you know, I, I had this romantic idea of changing the world, and uh, and so uh, at the end of the 70s, you know, all the movement was leaving, was you know just falling apart, and. Uh, I knew that I had to change something in, in my life. So this opportunity to go to New York was really came really at the right moment. But you didn't only stay for three months. You stayed for years. Yeah, exactly. I was supposed to stay three months and I stayed five years in New York. And then even when I came back to Paris, in my relationship with David, I would come back to New York uh, very often. So I've read, of course, uh, the interview between you and Sylvia Lautringa and then some other interviews that you've given in the past. You kind of met David, I guess, through a few different channels in a way. One through his art in the piers or through his paintings, his murals in the piers, and then through a job with uh, for ICI New York for the magazine, um, through a friend who was doing an interview, I guess. But what was it like? Because I read somewhere that you said that you already had a big crush on this David guy. Yes, um, I had a crush on him before meeting him. Yeah. Before meeting him, because uh, somebody took me to the pier, 34. That was an incredible place, really incredible place, an abandoned pier, you know, like everything was open to the wind, to light, to, to darkness, you know, and it was a place uh, where there were um, anonymous uh, homosexual uh, meetings, you know, and uh, sessions and... Uh, So it was really a weird place. And when this person took me to the pier, I had a crush on the pier. And I, 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 
So I spent the summer there, like taking photos, you know, like uh, learning when the sun will go through a hole, you know, so it could light a piece of painting and stuff like that. And, and I really enjoy it because it was by the sea, by the river, you know, and, uh, and in, in the summer, New York is very hot. So it was really peaceful to be there. And uh, people told me that they were scared to go there. I've never been scared. I mean, I went there with a, a photo camera. I went there with a 16 millimeter camera, you know, and, and nothing. I wasn't scared, you know, I felt very comfortable in this place. Then when I finished photographing this, the place, I decided to make a film, a fiction of the pier. And one day I was filming and there's a guy that walked by and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I, ex I explained to him what I was doing. And I said, but tell me a little, a little bit more about this place. And that's where he talked to me about David Wonarowicz, this uh, East Village artist who opened the place and invited all the artists to come and uh, use the wall as a as, um, canvas, you know, and make installation and sculptures and... Uh, so then I loved so much this place that I thought, oh, this guy must be great. I have to meet him. So, you know, it was bef before I met him, I was already attracted to him. Yeah. And then how did you meet? At the same time, I was working for this film company. Uh, I was working for a French magazine, Ici New York. And they asked me with a journalist to, to make a story about this village because it was in 83 and this village was growing and becoming really the place where to be in terms of artists, music, uh, fashion, uh, you know, clubs. And, uh, so uh, I was photographing a lot of people and then the journalist said to me, well, now we're going to meet David. David was one of the most interesting figures in this village. So she took me to the, the restaurant where she had a, an appointment with him, and that's how I met him. But I was so... Uh, how can I say it? I, I, I was like... I couldn't speak. I, I didn't speak to him at all. You know, I just listened to his voice because he had, he had a very profound voice and a very attractive voice. And... Um, and so I, uh, you know, I just listened to the interview and at the end I said, well, you know, I, I, I'd like to take pictures of you at the pier. And he said, okay, let's meet uh, next week. And that's how we met. But then you didn't go to the pier, you didn't go to Pier 28, you went to a different pier, right? No, we are, in fact, uh, the, uh, where, where all the paintings were, it was Pier 20, uh, 34. But okay. then David said, let's not go to that pier. I'm going to take you to another pier that nobody knows, Pier 28. We went there just with few artists and uh, we will take photos over there. So he took me there and I don't know, I start taking photos. We start talking and, uh, and, you know, I felt at a point, I felt that something happened, you know, like he looked at me. He listened to me differently. He looked at me differently. All of a sudden I was... I wasn't just a photographer taking photos of him, but something started. I, I don't know. Uh, I remember when it, when it started, that moment, uh, we were speaking um, politics, in fact. And I loved the way David was radical about uh, American civilization, American culture. And me, I was talking about uh, the, the riots in Paris in the 70s, you know, and... Uh, 
I guess we, we felt uh, right away we were from the same family. I guess your friendship developed over doing projects together or making art together. After you photographed David in the pier, he asked you to photograph him in his studio, if I remember correctly, for an upcoming show. And that was kind of the first, or maybe the first official collaboration, one could say. What was it like for you to work together? And did your friendship center around this idea of collaboration? Yes, I think so. I mean, we were attracted to each other, you know, we were attracted to each other. I could feel it, he could feel it. But w working together was, was really great because we loved it, you know, we, we had fun. I mean, after, you know, later in our relationship, we had heavy moments, you know, and we split several times. But as soon as we were connected through work, uh, you know, it was magic. Really, it was magic. And did you ever talk about authorship? No, because uh, for me, I was working with David on his ideas. You know, I was completely astonished by his ideas. I felt them radical, I, I felt them original, you know. I, there was something in his anger, I, there was something in his art, in his writing, in his performance that I really loved. So for me, it was not that we were sharing, I mean, we were sharing something working together. But for me, it was his work. I was here to help him to establish his work, to push him to work, to do what, uh, let's say, you know, for example, if you had an idea, we had this video that is in the film, When I Put My Hands on Your Body, which is a beautiful poem that David wrote about losing somebody in, in times of AIDS. And uh, I said, I said to him, well, let's, let's do it on video, you know. I had, I had a friend, Paul Smith, who was very sexy. He was gay, he was sexy, and we were friends. And I knew that David was secretly attracted to him, so I said, let's, let's do the piece with, with, uh, with Paul. And then, we you know, we did that... Um, we did that in David's loft. Uh, he, he set up a, um, a, strobe, a portable strobe light with a blue uh, screen, you know, to, to make this blue in the film. And I took my camera and I filmed all the pieces and then we edited it with my boyfriend, Francois Pain, who, was a, who is a French filmmaker. And, you know, so, the idea was coming from him and, and I was there to help him to do it, you know, like taking a camera and he liked the way I film, he liked the way I frame, you know, so it was more a collaboration, but uh, it was more support, you know, yeah. like I, I wanted to support him to go to the end of his ideas. Something that becomes clear in the essay film um, self-portrait in 23 rounds and especially in regards to this collaboration when I put my hands on your body I felt is that maybe I don't I don't know if this felt like this at the time but the way that um, it's shown in the film is more of a making of we hear your voice we hear kind of you giving direction taking on the role of a director of how to move uh, how he's supposed to move what looks good what doesn't look good and there's this moment where you give feedback in this very encouraging way. And 
you say, oh, that's so good. And then you say, oh, wow. And it's such an oh, wow moment in the, um, in the film, both in this kind of making of, but also in the, in the uh, final version later on. I was very excited to see these two guys that I love. I love, I love Paul and he was very sexy. I love David. I found him very sexy too. And to see these two men, you know, kissing each other and, uh, and David licking, uh, you know, this guy's body. And, uh, no, it was very exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it's admit, very, very sexy. David helped, um, he opened doors for me, you know. I mean, that was very special to, to be able to film two guys kissing each other. You know, I mean, I'm, heter I'm heterosexual and uh, I've never seen that in my life, you know. And, uh, and David opened doors for me about what is it to be homosexual, what is the homosexual desire about. And, uh, and for me, it was a total uh, other world. And it's also, I mean, an extreme kind of moment of trust as well to let someone in to a situation like that, but also to kind of play with it and perform for the camera in that way. But it's an amazing, it's an amazing part of, it's an amazing film on its own, but it's, it's really um, beautiful to see it within the, within your film essay as well. Is there a project that to you is most significant or is that a, like asking someone which is their favorite child? <laughs> Uh, well, in fact, uh, um, there's a video we did that is not in the film. It's very special. Uh, that's my favorite one because that's where I really brought something. We spent the summer together with David and my boyfriend, François Pain, upstate New York. And uh, we had this video camera that was incredible. It had special effects and uh, we started playing with it, you know, and having fun and, uh, and, and doing things with this camera. Uh, Sometimes it was like a vacation images, you know, and other time we would, some, some other time we would set things, you know, that we could use later for something. And one, one evening, I spoke to David about uh, the excitement there was in, uh, in riots, you know, the sexual excitement in riots. And I told him the story that I was in the street, you know, like running because the cops were behind me running too. And, uh, you know, I, I was almost close to get uh, busted by the cops. And then all of a sudden there's this guy with a... Um, a leather jacket and a Palestinian scar and uh, who pushed me against the door and closed the door and so the cops couldn't come in and, and then we were inside the court and uh, we start kissing each other fur furiously, you know, without knowing each other but we were like <laughs> shaking and, uh, and the, the, the cops were banging at the door and... and in the court, on the fourth floor, there, there was uh, Patti Smith's voices, voice uh, screaming uh, horses. I don't know yeah. if you know this song. Yeah. I is, do, I do. It's yeah. really my favorite song. I love to dance on this song, etc. And so, you know, we were, we were kissing furiously and, and there was Patti Smith singing, singing horses, you know, from a fourth um, floor uh, in the building. 
And so I was telling that to him, and he said, oh, we should set that. Uh, uh, he asked me to be... Um, to be topless in front of the camera, that he he, he said the the portable strobe light, and he asked me to dance like if I was fighting in the street, like a, a street fight. So we did that. He put Patty Smith on, and he did that. He, he filmed, and then uh, the next day we look at the video uh, on the TV. And uh, I didn't like it. I thought it was more like a go-go dancer, you know, like I looked more like a go-go dancer than that uh, a woman, uh, you know, fighting in the street. So David felt I was disappointed, you know, but I didn't say anything. And then a few days later, we were, st we were stuck in the house because uh, it was raining outside. And all of a sudden, I had the desire to go outside and to, to, to dance, you know, under the rain. And so I, I gave the camera to David and I said, just film. And then I asked my boyfriend, Francois, to come out with me uh, under the rain and to follow me. And then we, we, we put Patty Smith on, horses. And then we start dancing like this incredible dance where we jump on each other and, and it's between a, rape and desire, you know, like it, and, and for me it was like showing to David something of my sexuality, my heterosexual sexuality, you know, mm -hmm. like he used to show me something about homosexual uh, mm -hmm. sexuality. I, I, with my boyfriend, it, I was showing him something. And in fact, he used this part in a performance that he did at, uh, with the band Nail, that he did at the kitchen, in, uh, I think it was in 91, something like that. I don't remember exactly, maybe, no, no, 89, 89 or 90. And he used this part of dance, you know, because there were, uh, there was a set of four videos and on each video there were images and my images of dancing with Francois were coming and coming back and, you know, back and forth and, uh, and so I love it because uh, I think I was right to do, to do it, because he loved it. The first film I did after David's, David's death, uh, it's, uh, it's all the videos we did that summer. And uh, I had a, an artist residency at Banff Center in Canada. And uh, I decided to make like a journal, a video journal about that summer. And it's called Summer 89. And there I put everything that was kind of intimate, you know, and this dance with Francois, but also David and me on a, on, on a boat, you know, and, um, and we start games, you know, like playing and, uh, and I'm also topless and he's filming and he asked me to do this and that. And, uh, so until last year, I never showed this film because um, it showed too much about my intimacy with David. And, and, you know, it's not something that I wanted other people to, to know about. Mm -hmm. But then now, you know, 30 years later, I think this, this film is so much about freedom that summer, 89, that now yeah. I don't have problems to show it. Yeah. But I didn't want to put it in the essay. I mean, it's interesting thinking about you talking about these dance scenes or these fight scenes or kind of them mingling together. 
I guess that comes up quite a bit in a fire in my belly as well in different ways. You have the wrestling matches from from the scenes in Mexico, but also the the bullfight, etc. And I guess what changed for you now deciding to, for example, show this very intimate footage or these very intimate works that you made in collaboration. And also later on, I would like to ask about uh, the prints that you had from him in your basement for many, many years that you, I guess, you brought back up eventually into, into your life again. Um, what, what changed after so many years? Well, when I was working with him in 89, especially, you know, I left New York in 86. And then for two years, we didn't really speak to each other. You know, I was living in Paris with Francois. He was living in New York. When when I left New York, we were not that close anymore, you know. So I was sad about that, but that's the way it was. And uh, in 88, I met David really in a very strange way in in the street of Paris near yeah. Beaubourg all of a sudden he was in front of me and and you know I couldn't we couldn't believe it and and all of a sudden everything started again like it was before you know like the happy days and uh, so then I decided it was after Peter Ujar's death and David was very depressed and couldn't work anymore so I felt that this guy gave me so much that I should help him to go back to work. And then I decided to go back to New York several times, you know, like to help him to go back to work. And in 89, at the end of 89, he was preparing a show for his gallery, PPOW. And so I I came several times, uh, you know, to help him spend two, three weeks, uh, once a month, and uh, then go back to Paris and come back. And um, it was very, very exciting. I mean, we were in an energy, an unbelievable energy. And so when I left after the opening in 91, I think it was February 91, when I left, he gave me all these prints because we worked a lot in the dark room, you know, like choosing images that would go in the gallery. And so he, he left me all these photos, you know, and I went back to Paris with all these photos. and. Uh, Gracie Manchin told me one day, looking at this photo, she said, but Marion, you, you have the best collection of David's uh, photography. And it's true. I mean, I don't think uh, other people have so many photos. I kept them for me, you know, like uh, sometime, you know, from time to time, I would sell one photo to be able to keep on working on the films with David, on the videos, you know. and uh, But uh, I kept uh, a lot of them. And uh, recently, again, you know, maybe because uh, 30 years uh, after I had not the same need of conserve everything for me, you know, I show them as a collection. And it was great. It was a very successful show in Paris. Between the time of making the footage with David and presenting the film Self-Portrait in 23 Rounds, there was a lot of time went by, I guess, from it being finalized. And I read somewhere that for David, a photograph is a type of modern death mask, as he called it, or when he speaks about the photographs of Peter Hujar after he had died that David took, 
he described them as this this modern death mask is also showing something that wasn't you know in in consciousness so much so I guess I'm making drawing an analogy a little bit or trying to ask if if this was also a, a way of or your modern death mask, a type of a, a different type of saying goodbye, or was it more of an homage, or more of a like what what motivated you to make this film or finalize this film so many years later? Different things. First, uh, I always thought. Well, David died in 1992, in July 1992. That's uh, 30 years ago. Uh, the last year of his life, he didn't want me to be around. And he did, he said very clearly to me, I don't want you around. And it was very hard for me. But I accepted it. I, there's nothing I could do, you know. I mean, I had to accept it. And I was very sad. And then he died. And um, it took me a few years before I could really look at the videos again because of his voice. He was very present, you know. His voice was strong. And, you know, I, there, there were too, too much emotion for me, you know, looking at the images. and uh, So, it, you know, I did it little by little through the support of Sylvain Lothringer, uh, who pushed me to go to artist residency to work on the videos, you know. And uh, so it took me years and year after year I started working on Summer 89, this film I told you, and also on some videos, uh, collaboration, you know, we did together, like last night I took a man, or when I put my hands on your body, you know, that kind of thing, so the, inside this house, or this little bug, you know, I start working on that. And then uh, I heard that uh, David would have a, um, a retrospective in 2018 at the Whitney Museum. And then Silver told me, look, Marion, you have to do something with this interview. It's time now, you know, it's the last moment you can do something about it and show it. So now it's time to go to work. And uh, I followed him. I, I thought he, 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 he was right. And so he found me uh, in Canada again, in Winnipeg. He found me a, a super... Um, Uh, artist residency. I went there with Francois, who's still my boyfriend, and uh, we start editing the the interview and thinking about you know what we could put from my archives, uh, you know to to select pieces that I could put. And then when I came back to Paris, I I asked for a grant, uh, l'Institut Français, the French Institute, to go two months in New York to go through uh, David's archives and see what I could use of his archives uh, for the, the interview. So uh, PPOW gave me the, the authorization. Uh, uh, Tom, who was David's boyfriend, also said, okay, you can do whatever you want with his archives. So I got the grant. I came to New York, and with Francois, we start looking at all the videos, Super 8, 16 millimeter that David had done. And um, we selected some of them. And, you know, coming back to Paris we start really working on the interview. And um, through Gracie Mansion, uh, she contacted uh, David Keel, who was the curator of the show, one of the curator. And um, I, I prepared a, a teaser, a 15-minute teaser, and he loved it. And he said, we take the film, we're going to show it. Uh, not in the show, but uh, made um, a special um, 
projection screening for that. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the way that it kind of shows not only your friendship and the ways that you work together, and also David as an artist, of course, and kind of cementing a type of legacy, which from my research on him as a person was very controlled or he tried to control in this very intense way. It's like a, a loving outside viewer as well, somehow being on the inside, very intimate and very close, um, but also with a little bit of distance. For And in the interview itself, I thought with Sever in the apartment, sometimes I ask how, if the table was really that messy or if it was certain things were staged, just a little bit so that there Nothing would be... Nothing was staged. Okay. Nothing. The only thing I can say is that that day, David put a white shirt. <laughs> because <laughs> usually that? he was with a kind of dirty T-shirt or just not dirty, but just used T-shirt. And that day for the interview, he put on a, a, a white uh, shirt. But nothing. His table has always been like that. You know, and he says in the film, you know, that the, 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 yeah. this place is a mess because, uh, you know, everything is accumulating. And uh, yeah. no, no, nothing was staged. And, you know, I had camera on my shoulder. There was no tripod. You know, uh, you can see it because the camera, sometimes I move, you know, because I change my, my, the way I see it or, to, you know, no, no, nothing was staged. And I mean, it was four hour interview was something. But I think David really wanted to give something. Yeah. You know, that, it, you know, some David had this feeling that everything will survive him at, after his death. You know, it's very strange how when he died, everything was together, you know, like all the negatives were, were set together, you know, date by after date, uh, all his journals were together. He had all this um, newspaper or magazine that spoke about him, that he kept, you know. I think he had the feeling that what he was doing was important and will survive him. Yeah. And I think I want to say it here that uh, the Gary PPOW really did an, an incredible work because when David died, we were very few people and very few um, collectors who believed in David's work. And uh, PPOW through the years, you know, they carried uh, this work on their shoulder. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's all over the place. It's all over the place and that's their work. You know, and I really admire them for that. Yeah, and it's also kind of a wild body of work. Lots of, yes. you know, things, little digressions here and there. Yes, and, and it's not an easy work, you no. know. It's not, it's not Keith Haring's work, you know. I mean, Keith Haring was very political also and very critical. But, you know, his work was easy mm. in terms of drawing, you know, in terms of cartoony, etc., David's work uh, is a lot of complex to attract uh, collectors. But and now he's in, he's in great collections. Of, yes, and the, his writing is also very incredible, yes. I think. Like um, the way he could describe his inner landscape or continue to talk about his emotions and his dreams and his like, inner landscape and, the, and his 
kind of the therapy that he was doing with himself, these kind of dialogues that would happen, these inner dialogues, and that it doesn't get... That's what I wanted to show also in the film, you know? Because he speaks about the the dream with the scorpion, and he speaks... uh, Yes, it's exactly what you say, you know, I tried to, to put it in the film, you know, this conversation with himself. I wanted to ask you, because... As you already said, there were times, there were ups and downs to your relationship phases. Um, it sounds like what, what you can read about it. It sounds very emotional, close and intense, and then kind of in a way getting too close and then having to find space. So this constant searching for boundaries, like one's own boundaries and other people's boundaries. And I was, because this is what interested me about the collaboration aspect of it. It's trying to put every emotion, or I use a quote, it's like every emotion we would have, we tried to turn into a piece so we could control it in a way. Uh, what was so uncontrollable? Our feelings for each other, I think. You know, it took me years to, to admit that it was a love affair. And like in every love affair, you have fights, you split, you come back, you know. I remember it's Tom, his boyfriend, who, who made, me, made me understand that because I was, after David's death, I had a dinner with Tom and uh, I said, uh, well, you know about uh, this, this friendship we had? And he said, Marion, what are you talking about friendship? It was more than friendship. You know that better than me. And he was right. You know, it stuck me because I didn't want to, to admit it. Because he was homosexual, because I was a heterosexual, he was a man, I was a woman, you know, I mean, it's not things that you can admit and just say it simply, especially uh, to an homosexual audience, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I stayed silent for years because I had no place in the frame. I don't know if you understand what I mean. I do, yeah. In David's life, you know, there was no place for this image of a love affair or or love affection for a woman, you know. He had already others, uh, strong stories with Kiki Smith, for example. He He had a very strong relationship with Kiki Smith. But Kiki is a great artist, and you know, I mean, she had, she had her, her place in the, in the picture, you know. For me, it was very different. It took me time to, to accept it, to admit it, and to, to accept also everything we did together. When you say, for example, when you, when you, when you said you didn't have a place, you know, in, in, or you, didn't, you kept quiet about these intense feelings that were between you and also then at the end, you know, that you weren't not being in the frame in that way. Do you think something would have been different if you, if you had said something or, or expressed, expressed uh, uh, your emotions or your feelings in that moment? Like, you mean while he was dying? Um, yeah, at the end of his life. Or... I can't say. I, I know that if you would have allowed me to be next to him, I would, I would have been there until the end, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I loved him so much, you know? I mean... Uh, uh, but maybe he didn't want somebody who has so intense feelings around him, yeah. you know, because when you confront death, 
you know, I mean, he says in the film, yeah, you, you, you try to get rid of everything that's heavy because nothing has uh, have importance anymore, you know? So he said in the film, all, all your life you try to confront contradictions and stuff like that. And, and when you confront death, who cares, you know? You're going to die, you're just going to die, you know? Mm. And uh, maybe our relationship was too intense to, to, for him, you know, to... But he gave me something really strong, which is, you know, this photo he asked me to take of himself buried yes. under the earth in, in um, Chaco Canyon. The fact he asked me to do this photo, the fact that I, I was present, that I did this photo, the intensity of taking this photo, it's the last collaboration we did, and it's the strongest one, you know? Yeah. Because for me, inside, what I felt is like that day, he gave me what he knew he couldn't be able to give me later. You know what I mean? It's like, because when, when, when he took photos of, a, of a Peter Ujar on his bed, dead, after that we spoke with David and, and we spoke about the fact that I would do photos of him once he would be dead. And uh, of course, you know, when he told me that he didn't want, he didn't want me to be around him, this photo would never exist. But in a way, he gave it to me uh, the last trip we did together, you know? So it's pretty intense for me. Yeah. I mean, that whole trip, uh, which was also his last trip, sounded, reading about it and hearing you speak about it and seeing the, the images that come from that trip are very intense. And today, actually, I read of the postcard that he gave you um, when you were back at the motel. And I was deeply moved by the postcard uh, reading it because it everything I know or a lot of the things I know are things that I've read. So of course I'm not exactly, I'm not sure how, how the story actually was because I wasn't there. But um, I think there, there seems to, the trip also had its ups and downs and that postcard was just such a, like a, a gesture of will and wanting um, for you as a friend and kind of accepting all of the, you know, how friendships and, and uh, relationships are, um, which are completely, you know, as you say, up and down and kind of finding, battling back and forth, finding boundaries. Um, and then apparently there's a scorpion on the front of the postcard, which I thought was kind of incredible. Yeah, and you know what is funny? I discovered, like, a <laughs> few months ago, I read exactly what was, what was written about the scorpion on the postcard. Uh, the, the, how do you say that? The credit? Yeah. And it says that this scorpion on the photo is the biggest one in the United States. It's a hairy one. But usually this big scorpion... Uh, are less dangerous than the small ones. And then I thought, who is the small scorpion? Maybe it's me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I had this idea that there was some uh, humor behind, the, you know, buying this postcard and sending it to me 
yeah. bed from bed, you know. Yeah. And and I discovered it like very recently, you know, and it made me laugh, you know, because. Yeah. Uh, and then also he draw two glasses on the scorpion, and I remember I asked him because I wear glasses too to read, and he wear glasses too, and I said, whose glasses is? So I wanted to ask him, the scorpion is you or me? But he didn't answer. He laughed and he didn't answer. <laughs> but then when I read what was written on the back, printed on the postcard, I thought, yeah, he was the big scorpion and I was the, the you know, the, the small one. The, the dangerous the, one. The, danger, the poisonous one. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this, pork, this postcard, it... He sent it to me, we were in the motel room, you know, I was on the bed, he was on the other bed. It was two days before we leave, and he wrote the postcard and he sent it to me from his bed to my bed, you know. And, uh, and in a way, that's why I, I made this movie, you know, when he said at the end of the postcard, he said, uh, I wish you make the movies you feel in your body or something like that. Uh, and, you know, with humor, he says, uh, France will never be the same. Yeah, here, let me read it. I have it. Dear Marion, Bruja, Coyote Girl, despite the rough spots, it was a good voyage. I hope I'm healthy enough to see Morocco with you next year. We'll see. Hope you follow your heart and mind and make the films you carry in your body and write the books I know you can write. France would never be the same. Adios, love. David. So, you know, David always wanted that I take myself seriously. And uh, the film, that's why I ended up making this, uh, this uh, movie, you know. It was something that I had to give him back. And I always felt it that way. You know, like everything we did together, the photos I took of him, the trips we did together, the summer we spent together, the interview, the, the collaboration. I had to give this back to, to, to David's legacy, you know, and, and I'm yes. happy. Yeah, it's an amazing film uh, and an amazing document of not only, as I said, not only an artist's life, but also of a, a friendship, I guess, and a time spent together. So I'm really glad that we get to show I it. I hope people feel that when we'll see the movie. There's two questions I have that I still am kind of itching to ask. One of them is a little bit more gossipy regarding the film A Fire My Belly, which we're showing in the show here at the Julia Stoschek Collection, and of course is the title of the show. So it was kind of the inspiration and start to this show about different kinds of violence and rage and also release. And we are showing two unfinished excerpts that are presented together, the archive presents together. And apparently there's a rumor that there was an actually finished version which was incorporated into another film by Rosa von Trondheim, Silence Equals Death. And I remember in one of our first conversations, we briefly talked about it, that was a while ago. So I wanted to ask what you knew about the different versions and what, it, like, what, what is different about them. Well, the first version I saw, 
is the one included in uh, Rosa von, von Proheim's video. Um, because it was, it was in May 89, David asked me to come to New York with a video camera because uh, Rosa von Proheim was coming to New York and giving freedom to some artists to do whatever they wanted about AIDS. And David said, you know, I'm thinking about doing things, but I would like you to film that. You know, I, uh, maybe because he thought that he would do also his own film. Or we, we spoke already making a movie together, you know, but we didn't know what kind of movie it would be, if it would be fiction, it would be documentary or stuff like that. So I came to Paris with a video camera. And he was working with, um, with Rosa von Proheim. And I remember that he showed me uh, he showed me the Finnish version of uh, Fire in My Belly, and I was uh, stuck by the editing. The editing was very strong and uh, very lots of cuts and rhythm, and uh, you know. And there was this song of um, Diamanda Galas that he put on the film. Now that's the version I saw first. Then, you know, like going through uh, the archives, etc., I saw the rushes of Mexico that were unfinished. And it's not at all the same kind of editing, you know, it's just rough editing, long moments, you know, and cut, a very, very rough editing. So when I saw that, you know, I, I, yes, it was an unfinished work, but there was a finished work, I saw it. But then, uh, you know, I think that neither the gallery, neither uh, Faith's library knew about this, this version that was included in the video, in the VHS of uh, Silence Equal Death. So when we start saying, but there's a Finnish uh, version, they couldn't believe it. They said, no, 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 this is not a version that David did. Uh, I guess he gave everything, he gave all his, um, his uh, footage to Rosa von Proheim and it's Rosa who edited it. And uh, this was the, 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 how do you say, the, the controversy. Yeah, you know, the I mean, for me and for other people who, who knew about uh, Rosa's von Proheim uh, fire in my belly, we knew there was a Finnish version, but for 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 uh, historians or for Faith's library or for the gallery, it couldn't be. I don't know why it couldn't be a David Finnish version. So it, that was the controversy because there wasn't. It wasn't on film, perhaps. Right? It was just incorporated. Yes, or maybe David didn't show them. You know, because of course he sent it. Everything that is on fire in my belly, the Finnish version, is super 8 and 16 millimeter. So I guess, you know, he gave all the editing to, to Rosa von Proheim. Who knows where is this editing? Yeah. We, I know that uh, uh, we, we tried to reach Rosa, but he says that he doesn't remember, that it's too old for him, and uh, he doesn't remember. One day. One day. Maybe. But anyway, the Finnish version is really unbelievable. And then I wanted to ask you, because I think this is fascinating uh, from as someone being born in the late 80s and reading a lot of 
French philosophy at a certain point that um, we know uh, that you connected David Wanarovich and Felix Guattari on the essay that uh, Guattari wrote for the sex series exhibition, which title I've forgotten at the moment, and that you met in Paris and that you also were close friends and that you lived in Guattari's apartment for a while, but you met actually because he was your therapist, I read. At the beginning of my 20s, I was in therapy with him. How, how was he as a therapist? <laughs> I'm so curious. Well, he was not like the other ones, that I can tell you. Yeah. It was somebody, you know, I mean, when you are in your early 20s, you get stuck in this uh, family business, you know, like uh, your father put on you some expectation and you don't feel like you fit in his expectation and you feel like you want to be a photographer and he thinks that being a photographer is being a paparazzi. And also, you know, all these fights between my mother and my father that I was, uh, that I, I lived, you know. Uh, so you are trapped. You know, and, and then at, uh, during your, your early 20s, you, you don't know what you're going to do with your life. You know, you don't know you are trapped in that. And Felix was somebody that wouldn't try to make you understand what happens there. He would just open life to you, you know, open life to desire. You know, stop with this crap of Oedipus, uh, mom, dad, and you, you know. Just forget about this crap and just go for desire, go for life, you know. And, and that was unbelievable for me because it, it really changed my life. And at that point, uh, Felix was uh, running uh, a circle of people, uh, intellectuals, uh, searchers, um, gay activists, uh, women's lib. Uh, you know, I mean, there was uh, all, all this, um, this structure where they had a magazine called um, Recherche, who was exactly the same um, thing that Semiotext, you know, Silver Lautrenguet did Semiotext. It was the same kind uh, of Recherche. And that's how I met Silver, you know, through, through Recherche. During our therapy, he took me there, you know. He knew that I wanted to take photos. He knew that I wanted to be photographer, not take photos, but be photographer. And then he said, well, I'm going to make you meet somebody who runs a video uh, department there in this structure, and he's going to take care of you and show you, and you're going to do things, etc. And this guy was François Pain. François Pain, who became my boyfriend, and, uh, you know, we are, after I don't know how many times we split, we are still together, we got married four, four years ago, you know. I Congratulations. Mean, so, you know, I mean, Félix was somebody who knew how to put people together to do things. And Francois, you know, he taught me video, he taught me darkroom, how to work in a darkroom, you know, I mean, he was supportive. And so all of a sudden, my desire of being photographer was not just a bad trip for my father. It was just uh, open to life, you know, and to yeah. desire. And uh, so he was this kind of therapist. And also the last thing I wanted to say about him is when, when we became friends, etc., when David was dying, 
I was living at Felix's place with Francois, and Felix and I both we were kind of depressed for different reasons, of course, not the same. But I remember that one day I was, you know, crying about David, who didn't want me to be around him, etc., etc. And then he said to me, Felix said to me, Marion, are you going to stop taking yourself for the center of the world? Can't you imagine that this guy is dying? This guy is confronting death. Who are you? You know, I mean, just leave him alone. Leave him live his death and confront what he has to confront. And God, it was really a shock. And I really thank him to, to have said that to me. You know, because all of a center, all of a sudden, I decentered myself from my story with David. You know, I I have been able to to make a distance and to see what this guy was going through. You know, and that was very strong from Felix to tell me that. Yeah, and it enables, I feel, maybe a different type of empathy or a different type of connection, that moment of decentering, for sure. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful ending. <laughs> I thank um, you very much for giving me the opportunity, you know, to speak about all this. I, I thank you for being so open about your experiences and also your emotions um, throughout your life. That's not also often the case. It took me 30 years to be able to speak like that now. (laughs) But you know, the last thing I wanted to say is like I'm 70 years old now and I'm so happy that that everything, all this happens to me now. You know, it's, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I mean, for me, it's a beautiful ending. Mm.